We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmine. Amen. So I'm going to be reading out of Isaiah. So if you have your Bible with me, why don't you turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12. This is the, the, the verse that kind of kept on coming up when, when Manny asked me if, if I could teach about an hour ago. No, I'm just kidding. He's giving me more time than that. But it's found in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. So Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And I remember when I was reading it during my devotional that I, I was thinking, you know, Lord, I, I want that. I want to have um, this joy that, that Isaiah is talking about. I want to have a, 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 joyful, a joyful walk. And, you know, sometimes, Lord, I don't know if I possess this, this type of joy. I, I don't know if you've heard, but as Christians, we all might or do go through what's called dry seasons. I don't know if you've ever heard that, what a dry season is in your walk, when you just don't feel... Um, you just don't feel right. You know, there's something missing. And, you know, I wouldn't categorize myself as going through a dry season, but, but I do know that I'm not always consciously living in the joy that, that it's talking about here. And I think that a lot of us as Christians, uh, we miss out on that. You know, we miss out on that. We're, 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 you know, going to church. We're doing our religious thing, you know, but we miss out on the fact that God wants us to have joy. Um, you know, I'm convinced, and I've said this many times, that, you know, the right philosophy is that we don't go based on emotions, that we don't walk our walk based on, on feelings, uh, because feelings will let us down, right? Um, but the truth is that, um, you know, we should have joy. We should have the joy of the Lord. But as I was kind of thinking about this, I started feeling guilty. I'm like, you know, Lord, am I wrong, you know, for wanting this? Am I being selfish in any way? Am I alone, you know, in this thought? Is there anyone else that feels this way? And as I began reading and studying a little bit more deeper, um, I found out what I, I think I already knew inside, that, you know, God wants us to have joy, that having joy wasn't wrong. In fact, uh, it couldn't have been more right. That's what we were created for. We were created to glorify God, and we were created to enjoy God. So that's what I hope today to kind of show, that God wants us, in fact, he requires us to, to, have, to have joy, to be joyful people, not sour Christians, but sweet, sweet Christians. And so we're going to be reading Isaiah 12, 1 through 6, but the verse that I really want to key on is the verse that I read to you, which is in verse 3. Um, let me just go ahead and read the, the, the whole uh, passage here, 1 through 6. Um, it starts off, by saying it's a hymn of, of praise. Verse 1, it says, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you are angry with me. Your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength in song. He has also become my salvation. There's that verse again. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. 
Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. And then verse 6 says, Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. You know, as we contemplate this song, and that's what it is, it's a song, I pray that we would make it our song, you know? I especially hope that those who are here and are maybe struggling with, with joy, um, that, that we would have a different outlook on the fact that God wants us to enjoy our walk, that he wants us to enjoy him. In fact, it's a, it's a mandate, I would say. That's what we were created for. And so in this song, um, but specifically again in verse 3, we're going to be looking at uh, the R's uh, of joy. Um, number one being the reason for joy. Why should we be joyful? Uh, number two being the root of joy. Um, who is that root of our joy? Number three is the response to our joy. What is our duty? How do we respond in order to attain, in order to fight for the joy that God has given us? And number four are the roadblocks. What are the roadblocks that we face as Christians uh, to joy? What are the killjoys in essence? All right. And then number five, the, the reservoir or the riches or the reserves of joy. Um, what are the ways to experience this joy that the Bible talks about? So Isaiah, 1, Isaiah 12, 1 through 6, it's a, it's a prophetic song. If it sounded like a psalm to you, that's what it is. Because David wrote a lot of the psalms and they were songs that were sung. And this is in fact a song as well. It was a prophetic song that one day will be sung among the remnant of, uh, of the Jews who come to the Lord. It says, in that day you will say. Isaiah touched on this in, in Isaiah chapter 11. We'll, we'll read that. It's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 uh, through 11. It says, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. And then if you jump down to verse 16, it says, There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Isaria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. So like it says there in verse 16, this is the, the, the first response to this song would have been when um, you know, Israel was, was released from Egypt. It was during the, the Exodus, right? The second time will be when Jesus gathers a remnant of Israel, when he comes and he gathers his people. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that this song is just for the Jews. I think that when we read it, um, it's not just for the Jews who know the Lord, but it's for the Christians. It's for all of us as Christians, right? We can, we can all and we should all claim it. Every one of us who's been washed by the blood of the Lamb can claim it, both Jews and Christians alike. And I would even say that while it's a song that one day is going to be sung to its fullest, right, when the, when, the, when the Lord gathers all his people, it's still a song that every Christian should sing today. Um, when it was written, of course, it was looking forward prophetically towards Jesus, but we live in this amazing uh, uh, season of privilege where we now know the finished work of Christ, don't we? We know what he's done. We know what his promises is. His word, all of it is complete. We know everything. There is nothing that we don't know. He's given to us everything we need to know through his word. 
And so I just thought it was a true, truly beautiful song. Um, it's a song of joy. And it starts off that way. It's, it, it, that's the number one thing that we're going to talk about, the reason for joy. Why, why should we be joyful uh, as Christians? What, what, uh, what right do we have to be joyful? I would say every right. Of all of the pitiful people on the earth, the Christian should be that person that has the most joy, don't we? I mean, we shouldn't walk around. I mean, I'm not saying that we're always happy. I mean, I heard some of you say, man, today was a tough day. And, and believe me, I had one of those days. Every time you teach, it's, it's just going to be like that, you know? And so we're not always happy. I'm not saying we're going to, like, pretend, you know, that things don't happen to us, you know? But the joy that we have, it, it's not an emotion. It's, it's a posture of the heart. And that's what we got to be looking for. Notice it says, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. What is the reason that we are to be joyful? The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23 it tells us, For the wages of sin is death. So what did I say? We've all fell short. We've all sinned. We all deserve death. And when it talks about here death, it's not talking about the Rose Hills death. It's talking about that death that, that takes us to hell. We all deserve it, huh? And I don't know about you all, but, but, but as a Christian, I have such sensitivity towards sin. I cringe at the sins of the past. And I, and I, and I cringe at the, at the sins of the present because I continue to fall short every single day. It's like I'm more aware of sin. I'm more aware of sin. And, and, and because of that, I should be more aware of the outcome of sin. And because of that, I should be more aware of what I was saved from. Right? Because if what the scripture says is true, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of that is death, death eternally in hell, then man, don't we have to be joyful, huh? That we've been saved from that fire, that we've been saved that even though we were headed to hell in a handbasket, our route was rerouted. That's, that's reason alone to be jubilant. That's reason alone to, to have joy. Sin for the Christian should sting. It should hurt us. We, we, we should never be nonchalant about it. We should know what it did to our Lord. We should know where it was heading us to. And so that's the reason why we should be, we should be joyful. There's no doubt that I'm a sinner, and because of my sins, God had the right. In fact, being a holy God, he actually had the obligation to deliver the full wrath of God upon me. But, but again, he, he didn't. Um, Psalm 32 one says, Blessed is he who gives, whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Do we understand as Christians what and where we've been saved from? Sometimes I wonder if we lose sight of that. You know, it's a truth that we have tucked away. There's no doubt about it. We got the theology right. We got the doctrine right. We know that we fell short. We know that we sinned, and we know that we were supposed to be in hell. But I wonder if we wear that truth on the forefront of our hearts. I wonder if we always are conscious of that because I think if we were, we would walk around a lot more joyful with a lot more thanksgiving, with a lot more appreciation. Being saved from the pit of hell 
is the reason to rejoice. Praise you, Lord. Huh? Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, it says, and you comfort me. A fiery preacher, some of you might know him, by the name of Billy Sunday, once said, if you have no joy in your religion, then there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. That's true. Look at verse 2 says, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. It isn't what we, what, what we did, guys, the sins of commission. It isn't what we didn't do, the sins of omission. It's what he did. It's the work on the cross. It's, it's Calvary. It's, it's the death of Jesus Christ, the one who had no sin, who sinned for all of us who have. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to be afraid. For God is my salvation. It says, Yah, the Lord, is my strength in song. He has become my salvation. That right there is the root of our joy. That right there is why we should have joy. The joy of the Lord. And that's what we look at next. The root of the joy. Who is the origin? Who it is the source of our joy? Isaiah 7, Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He's our sign. He's the root. He's the reason. He's the source of life. He's the source of joy. Huh? John 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing that was made was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is God in the flesh. It's because of him that we live here on earth, and it's because of him that one day we're going to live with him in eternity. And joy derives from him. That's where we get our joy from. The Bible tells us that everything that was made was made by him and was made for him. He made us to delight in him. That's why we were created to glorify God and to delight and to enjoy our God. It's been said that, that Christ is to be cherished, not just chosen. Do, I, do we identify with that? Do we track with that? Christ isn't just someone that we choose. Christ is someone that we fall in love with, that we, that we draw close to every single day, that we are intimate. It is a personal relationship with him. It isn't just he's my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my everything. If we're, if we're trying to have joy in anyone or anything that is not Christ, we err. We err. And God sees it that way. In fact, he sees us as that Eva. Watch, if you, if you leave your mark uh, where you're at and turn with me uh, to the, the next book, Jeremiah 2.13. This is a, a, a convicting uh, a scripture, but it's, it's a verse that, that we need to know. Jeremiah 2, chapter 2, verse 13. I'll read it. It says, For my people have committed two evils. Notice God sees it as an evil, okay? It says, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. That, that me as a Christian would sincerely proclaim that I put my trust everything, everything 
in God. I, I, I'll be sincere. I, I haven't done that yet. I haven't arrived. I want to. That's my heart. I know that when I do, that's when I will have true joy, the joy that the Bible describes. But, but you know, we, we've forsaken them. We've trusted other things. We, we've moved away from, from the fountain of living water, and we've made ourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that, that don't hold anything because we, we think that that's what's going to bring us joy, that that's what's going to bring us satisfaction. And as a Christian, I, I would pray that, that I would sincerely um, proclaim the words found in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2, 17 to 18. As you make your way back to Isaiah, I'll read it. It says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the, uh, of the olive may fail, and the field yield no food, though the flock may, cu- may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Verse 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What is Habakkuk saying there? He says, Look, man, if I lose my job, if I lose my house, if I lose my health, if I lose everything, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Because God, Jesus, is a source of joy, preferring anything but him. It's the essence, really, of sin. It's the core of sin when we do that. We need to delight in the Lord. But how, how do we do that? What's the practical step to do that? We think we know that, huh? We're, we're Calvary Chapelians. I don't know how you say it. We, we've been taught right. We know that the answer is what? The answer is the Word. Because Jesus is the living Word. It's, he's, the, he's, he's the embodiment. He is the Logos. This is the written word. This is written of him. Everything in this word points to him. Everything. And so how do, we, how do we draw close? How do we get this joy? How do we abide in Jesus? We do it. We do it through his word. That's what our response should be, huh? That's why it says in verse 3, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That we would draw it out. You know, he, he, he wants us to be actively involved. He wants us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to do it with joy. I like what, what David Gusick said about this verse, verse 3. He says, we must reach out to draw forth what he has provided. At the same time, it's his water, it's his well, it's his rope, it's his bucket that we draw with. It's his. But he wants us to draw from it. You know, when we're going through tough times, you know, when, when we're baby Christians, you don't even have to tell us any of this. We're drawing. We're at the well all day long. But, but as, we, as we, you know, kind of know what to do, we know the lingo, we kind of know how to go about things in our Christian walk, we kind of forget this. We kind of forget and we expect that that water be brought to us. We need to be continually drawing. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus here is describing the result of love, not, not the substance of love. We need to draw closer to him through his word. Notice it, it says in John 15.10, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be the way that we get joy the way that we draw close to Jesus Christ is through the living word 
Jesus sent the Spirit of God to testify him, but the Spirit of God brings to remembrance that which we've taken in, that which we've consumed, that which we've drawn from the well. We need to be constantly drawing from the well. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. Isaiah 55, 11 through 12 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And I really, I honestly, when, when I was thinking about when, when we were new believers, there might be you know, some new believers here that are thinking, what is this, this guy saying? Of course, we need to be continually drawing. We need to, continue. well, that's because you're just, you're, you're consumed by the Lord. But there's some of us who, it's been a while now, huh? It's been an, a while since we first said yes to Jesus. And, and, and we're not doing that anymore. We don't feel God, his presence anymore. And again, I'm not a big person on feelings. Again, I believe that we go based on his truth, but Jesus has his joy there for us. We just need to take hold of it. You know, we need to continually draw, draw from the well. But for some reason, I don't know what happens. We get lazy. We want people to draw that water out for us. We come and we ask the preacher to do it for us. We come and we turn the radio on and we want the preacher on the radio to do it for us. When God says, I have joy for you. I have something personal for you. I want to meet with you. I want you to sit with me. But instead, what is Henry doing? He's playing with his phone. He's playing with his new computer. Instead of being at God's feet, reading his word, knowing that that is what's going to bring me so much substance, so much joy, so much wisdom. You know, we need to remember that as Christians, we're not holy. H-O-L-Y. We are holy. H-O-L-L-E-Y. Right? We, we leak. We're constantly in the world. We're constantly getting bombarded. We're getting hit with things. And so we, we got holes in us and we're leaking all the things that we hear. And we need to be constantly going back to that well to be refilled. You guys remember the story, right? Remember when, when uh, Jesus met the Samaritan woman at, at, at Jacob's well? And what did he do? He asked her for water. And she was kind of taken back by the fact that this man, a rabbi, a Jew would ask a Samaritan woman for water. You know the story. In John 4, or 13 through 14, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. When it says there in, in verse 3, therefore with joy you will draw water, it's, it's talking about that desert. It's the Middle East, guys, about that dry. We can kind of relate, huh, with, with you know, the fact that it hasn't rained here, um, you know, the drought. But there is real drought over there. There is no water. And so the, the image here of water is, is to satisfy the soul. It's to, it's to have you keep going. It's to re-energize you. We need to keep going back to the well, guys. We need to draw from it. We need to remember that we're saved and that Jesus is our Savior. Now I want to talk to you about the roadblocks of joy. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are those killjoys? What are those obstacles that we face? Um, I think we know the, 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 the three-headed monster, huh? 
my flesh, this world, the enemy. You know, my flesh that is constant sinning, my flesh that is constantly worrying and doesn't allow the joy of God to come in. And this world that is constantly tempting me, this world that is constantly mocking me, this world that is constantly counterfeiting those things that God wants to give us by saying it's so much better to do it this way. It's so much better to go this route. Ignore that. That's ancient. And then the enemy. The enemy. The worst one yet, huh? The one that controls our flesh, manipulates our flesh, and basically controls this world. The Bible says that he's the God of this world. How he slanders us and how he accuses us before the Father. So let's start with the flesh. Speaking of the flesh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That the flesh is always going to want the things of the world. Always. Always. Always for the easy. Always for that which satisfies you right away instantly and that is one of the enemies that takes away our, our, our joy Matthew twenty six forty one. you know that watch and pray lest you enter into temptation why well the spirit indeed is willing but but the flesh is weak the, the flesh it's going to bite on the bait of the world and, and, and the world will show a real real good bait it just won't show the hook behind it and that's the second enemy, the world. It's going to show us the, the bait, but never the hook. It gives us counterfeit, huh? It, it looks good. It feels good. It smells good. It tastes good. Do it now. But then you get the hook. Then you get, you know, that, that gravel, like the Bible says, that it tastes good going in, but it, when it comes down, it's like gravel to your throat. We're never going to have joy that way. You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus gives a description uh, for the seed that, it, that is sown among the thorns, signifying the world, right? And it says in Mark four eighteen through 19, Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entertaining, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Manny wrote an evil on Monday, um, that was really, really good. It was, it was based on Psalm 55, 22, where it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And he was talking about how, how life has a way of weighing us down. It has a way of, 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 of you know, putting his burdens on us. Situations that are real, such as the passing of our loved ones, sicknesses that we're dealing with, suffering, sin. So many sins, he said. And then he says, then, then we're also worried. Life also has a way of, of, of making us worry for situations that aren't real. huh? We worry about things that haven't yet happened yet. We worry about what might happen. When the Bible says, don't worry about tomorrow for today. Today's problems are sufficient for themselves. Those are the things that steal our joys, guys. He wrote about how the, 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 these burdens have the, the tendency of piling up, of weighing us down, and, and they can be unbearable. I know some of you can, can relate. The, the flesh and the world are enemies of, of joy. 
they they will block they will they will be that block that keeps the joy of God coming in. We need to know this and we need to counter it. And again, God, he's a source of joy. We, 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 we can't give it out. We can't produce joy. Only he can. But his joy is there for us. And we need to take it. The last kind of killjoy of, of joy is the enemy. And we kind of talked about that, right? He's the last roadblock. Kind of the big, the big killjoy. The enemy. Because he manipulates our flesh. He, he controls this world in order to make us fall. And then what does he do? He accuses us, huh? He tells us, you see? You see, Henry? You know, that's his M.O. John 10.10, 10, we should know this by heart. The thief comes not except to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's, that's what his agenda is. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy you. Revelation 12.10, John calls him the accuser of the brethren. And if we know anything about the story of Job, we know that's what he is, huh? He's constantly accusing us. He's constantly pointing his finger. Look what you've done. Look where you failed. Look where your faith is. I think we need to know that, that, that you know, sin, and I'm talking about that, that persistent, that insistent, that constant sin. Um, we, can't, we can't live that way and experience the joy of the Lord. Because we're just going to be giving the devil a foothold to come on in and to excuse us. But I think another thing that we need to do to fight against the enemy is to know what it says there in verse 3, that we will draw from the well of salvation. Meaning that, yes, sin will separate us from God. And yes, we have to make it right. But we belong to God. He's paid for our sins, the sins of yesterday, the sins of today, and the sins of tomorrow. We need to use that. We need to draw from the well of salvation when we get accused, when we come down on ourselves. I was talking to a brother the other day, and he was saying, man, I'm just so hard on myself. Man, I'm thinking, bro, the devil's already got that job. You know, let him have it. You rest in the grace. You rest in the person of Jesus Christ. And when the devil accuses us, we need to draw from the well of salvation. What's that, that story that we've all heard as Christians when the devil reminds you of your past? Remind him of his future. Huh? Remind him of the fact that he's been cast into the lake of fire already. That, that, that his teeth that he used to bite with, they're, they're no longer there. He's like, like that, you know? He don't got that bite anymore. He could accuse us. He can lie to us. He can you know, slander us, but he, but he doesn't have that bite, and we need to live in that truth. That's how we fight for joy. That's what, that's what it says in Ephesians, huh? Ephesians six seventeen, and take the helmet of salvation. What was the point of us putting on a helmet as Christians? Because we fall a lot? No, right? It's because the devil is constantly shooting the fiery arrows at us, throwing his lies, leaving the truth against us, and he's constantly telling us, you're not saved. You don't know the Lord. We need to put on that helmet of salvation. That leads us to the, to the, to the last point. Um, the reservoir, the riches, the, the reserves of joy. Notice it says in, in verse 3, you will draw water from the wells. Wells. It's not a well. The wells, plural, of salvation. There's so many resources in the Lord. There's so many ways that he wants to give us his joy. There's one source, okay, don't get me wrong. There is one source, and that is Jesus Christ and Him only. But there's many resources. One we talked about, huh? The Word. The Word of God is our resource. 
that if we delight ourselves in the word, he's gonna, he's, we're going to feel the delight. We're going to feel the joy of Jesus. We're going to have the joy of the Lord because it's, it, it is the, the written word that points to the living word. John seven thirty eight says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It kind of gives that analogy of that well that we continually draw from. Another one is prayer. Prayer, how, how prayer is amazing. How, how prayer is that one-on-one communion with God where we worship and where we praise him, where we thank him, where we ask of him. We have a connection with God. And, I, and I, I think sometimes as Christians, we don't take advantage of that, of these resources that he's given us, of this well to draw, to draw from the salvation that he's given us. Jeremiah twenty nine twelve. then you will call upon me, go and pray to me. And what does he say? And I will listen to you. We have God's ear. He's going to respond. If we delight in him, if we are in his word, we're going to pray according to his will. And he is going to give us that which we ask for. The other one is fellowship. How we need to be in fellowship. Being with the family of God should be our desire. Being in church should be what we're about. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You know, when I first became a Christian, you didn't have to tell me that you had to go to church. That was just something I wanted to do. But sometimes I look at these Christians and I think, why aren't they in church? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they amongst the family? Why aren't they in fellowship? Why aren't they growing? And I know some of you guys have jobs and you have families and you have things to do. But, man, church should be in the number one priority. We should want to be here at church. It shouldn't be a burden. It shouldn't be a task. It's something that should be a delight. It's where we get our joy. The second one is serving. Or the next one is serving. If you've never served the Lord, there's nothing like serving the Lord. Because we were made to serve Him. That's why we were put on this earth, to serve Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Whatever we do for the Lord, it's never going to be in vain. And we should always be abounding. The next one is evangelizing. You ever try to go out and evangelize? You ever just take a step of faith and go out with the jet team and say, you know what, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know what God has done in my life. I'm just going to go out there and tell people. You know, Gil Irwin had this, this sticker, you guys might be aware of it, called Others. And, and basically what that sticker was, was, was the head of the Salvation Army. He tried to send a message to some uh, uh, ministry, and he didn't have enough money to send the message. And the only thing that he could send in that telegraph was the word others. Because he knew that that word itself would convey a message so deep that it's about others. It's not about us. When we take the focus off ourselves, guys, what happens is that we get the joy of the Lord because it's not about us anymore. We're not looking at our problems. We're looking at how to serve others. We're not coming here with, you know, with our hand asking for something. We're coming in with our hands saying, I want to give. What can I do? The, the, the last one is, is worship. Look what it says. And in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name. Verse 4, declare his deeds among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. 
This is known in all the earth, it says. Cry out and shout out, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. A life of abundancy, guys, a life of purpose, the hope of heaven. Those are all things, those are all resources that God has given us in order for us to have joy. You know, Christianity says that the, that the end of all things is the glory of God. Humanism says that the end of all things is the happiness of man. I looked up on the internet books that were about happiness. Man, you should have seen page after page after page. But, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the posture of the heart. What happiness is, is it, it, someone basically called it luck, huh? How you doing, Henry? I'm doing pretty good. Things are going pretty good. That's luck. Things are going pretty good. Well, what happens when things aren't going pretty good? Which we know things turn at a dime, huh? They turn quick. Then we're no longer happy. We're no longer joyful. As Christians, we have that joy deep within our heart. Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, conditional, and it's brief. Oswald Chambers said, Happiness depends on what happens. Joy does not. And Tim Hansel says, Happiness is a feeling. Joy is an attitude. It's a posture. It's a position. It's a place. An unknown quote says, The joy of the heart colors the face. You'll know when you have joy. You know when someone possesses the joy of the Lord. You see a, a brightness in their face. And then on the other side, you know when they don't. When they're just basically sour. It's like they've just been eating lemons all day, you know? We need to have the joy of the, of the Lord, guys, because people are looking at us as Christians. And if we are sour like the world, if we're just, well, yeah, I guess I'm going to church, then what is, what is, what is it attractive to them? What are they going to see in us? We need to display the joy that's inside of us. Rufus Matthew Jones, don't know who he is, but I like his quote, says, True joy is not a thing of moods, not a capricious emotion tied to fluctuating experiences. It's a state and condition of the soul. It survives through pain. It survives through sorrow. And like a subterranean spring waters the whole life. It is intimately allied and bound up with love and goodness. And it's so deeply rooted in the life of God. I like that. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. And I am convinced that one of those desires is for us to experience His joy. You know, when you read the, the book of Philippians, Paul the Apostle, in his letter to the Philippians, mentioned the word joy, or words that meant joy, 21 times. Talk about wanting to, to, to make sure that they got the message, huh? You're to have joy. And what an example he was, huh? He's in jail. He's in a dungeon singing, praising. We've got to fight for joy, guys. We've got to draw close to Jesus who is the origin, who is the, the source of joy. We gotta do that through his word, we gotta do that through prayer, we gotta do that through fellowship, we gotta do that through church attendance. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And I think that is how we will experience this joy, this joy of the Lord. We gotta live in it. You know, this song, it's it's really an, an illustration of what occurs in God's people when 
they're brought out of darkness and into the light. If you if you categorize yourself in that way, if you were once in darkness and you've been brought to the light, then you should be displaying joy. You should be displaying light. I, and I have to say, if you don't know the Lord, if you're here, you know, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, there is no way that you can experience this joy because this joy is only for those that belong to Him. But for those of us that do know Him, we have to set that example. We have to live in that joy. We can't be afraid to have joy. We should want to enjoy this walk. We should have fun doing it. You know, me and my wife, we go to concerts. We go to comedy things. Christians, right? Don't get it twisted. But we do things. We do things. We have fun in the Lord. And it's not all about having fun. There's suffering there. But it doesn't matter the suffering that we go through. The joy is always there because it's joy that's placed in our hearts. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.